I sit in the passenger seat of my father's old rusty pickup as we fly through the highway among the towering trees and boastful mountains to our new home. David bobs to a country song on the old pickup radio. And then I see it. The unassuming, quite depressing, not at all interesting sign to enter town. Welcome, it jokes, to Three River Pass. I cannot accept the facts as they are. The witches don't seem to know anything more about me than I do them. But I I need to be able to be friends with Dakota. She's the only real friend I have. The only person who might kind of understand what's happening to me. I can't let her go. Something else rubs me the wrong way. Her brother visited for Halloween? Who visits for a holiday like that? And then it hits me. Of course witches love Halloween. They might be sacrificing goats or... Children, for all I know. David's been begging me to make plans, so I do. And it doesn't take me long to find out a party indeed takes place at Stars Rest Academy Square. Now, I am a little disappointed when I hear this, as I find it unlikely anything nefarious would happen in the wide open public space of the square, but I decided to go anyway to see what I could find out. And David was right. I, I need to get out more. I arrived to the party about 30 minutes after its start. Most attendees are dressed up, and I have a harder time than I thought I would identifying who is who. I spot Raven and Ryder dressed as the Wonder Twins, and I can see Dr. Sand sporting a David Bowie-inspired outfit. You remind me of the babe, pops into my head. I hear Dakota before I see her. This is my jam. I double-take as I watch Dakota glide to the dance floor. She glows under the moonlight, and it feels like the world slows. Her white, body-slim dress and gold necklace matched to a pharaoh's tiara clearly depict her... Cleopatra-themed costume, creating a curvy figure on Dakota I've never noticed before. I force myself to stop staring at her and continue my espionage. Hours pass, and the information I gather is so unassuming that I must have dozed off in my position in the bushes, because the next thing I know, food is being put away and the tables are being broken down. A wasted night. Damn it. I prepare to dig myself out of the hiding place when luck turns my way. Gosh, Kiki, we are gonna be so late if you don't pick it up, girl. Danielle, slow down. These shoes hurt so much, please. Kiki, I swear on my life, I cannot be late to this ceremony. If you get a high counselor mad at me again, just take them off. We should have just taken that ride from Dakota instead of walking all the way back to your house to change. I am not riding with that note. I can't believe they made her a junior firefly. Can you believe that? My dad was captain when he was young. That junior spot should have been mine. It's just going to get worse if I don't keep on the high counselor's good side. I listen intently to the passing girls. It's the closest thing witch-related I had heard all night. And with mentions of a ceremony, I trail the girls to an entrance into Three River Forest, the same path I take home each day and where I first laid eyes on the colonel. I stay low as the two girls rush to don robes. They continue through the empty parking lot and with only a nod are let past by two hooded figures in brown robes that guard the entrance. I wonder if I would be so lucky if I confidently acted like it was okay for me to pass. Maybe if I had one of those robes? Was I zealous enough to knock someone out and steal one? It crosses my mind for only the brief second it takes for me to realize my lack of capacity to do such things. I'll have to find another way into the dense forest and hope I can track down the girls that are now out of sight. As I start to search along the fence entrance, I am accosted by an orange cat. It's Sebastian, Dakota's friend. He swipes at my feet, and although hardly noticeable in my boots, I recoil instinctively. Sebastian! What are you doing here? 
The cat stares me down awkward and wide-eyed. I feel silly talking to him, but doesn't this cat understand English? That's how Dakota talks to him. Here, kitty, kitty, diamond thing. I slowly lower my hand to pet him. He allows it and nudges his head against my hand to direct the petting where he prefers. Trotting off behind me down the road, he turns his head as if to check I'm paying attention. Do you want me to follow you? Sebastian leads me to a break in the fence path adjacent to the street. I crawl through the bottom of the fence's large hole. Sebastian waits only a moment to make sure I'm falling before heading into the forest. I run to keep up with his weaving through the forest floor. Each turn the cat makes, the trees start to look subtly different, almost like they're starting to bend. Little by little, I realize I've been taken deep into a part of the forest I've never seen before. The curvatures of the trees become dramatic, and a glowing emanates from what becomes brighter and brighter looking bark. The forest, still and vibrant, has become impossible. A painting of a magical forest that defies reality, where the dark, cold night is warm, illuminated by fireflies and subtly shimmering tree sap. I want so bad to stop and inspect things closer, but Sebastian does not give up his stride until a clearing begins to emerge in the distance. The sound of many reminds me to stay low as I slowly encroach upon an outdoor stadium of sorts. Benches made from large tree logs are full of different colored robed townsfolk. Their hoods make many of the patrons hard to distinguish, but I'm certain the man standing at the altar of the stage is the president of Star's Rest Academy, and it sounds like he's just begun a speech. Our idea of morality is, and always has been, very simple, but very powerful. Do as you will as long as you harm none. Simple. Yet, this rule contains another unwritten condition. Do no harm to thyself. Our ancestors believed in this principle despite having to operate in secrecy, as we do today for more than a millennium due to the spread of misinformation and slander that all magic is evil. The unfortunate truth, my brothers and sisters, is that some magic is evil. We all know why we banish hallucinogens while performing magic. And perhaps even more importantly, we ban the use of pain, blood, or sacrifice to enhance results. We know these practices as blood magic, and it is arrived to Star's Rest. Now, now, don't get excited. I bring this up because of horrendous loss of a young witch in our community. You knew him as Joshua Harbor. After the investigation of our Firefly squad, we now believe some form of blood magic was involved in his death. Citizens of Saul's Rest! The details are still unknown, but as people of magic, we must understand the danger in such potential. Stay vigilant. Now, we have sightings of something in the forest surrounding Three River County. Our allies in Rosewood have confirmed they have also had sightings. These issues may be completely unrelated. Our fireflies have found the sightings consistent with that of a small werewolf pack passing by for the turn of the seasons. Still, be aware, we will not sully the sacred grove with further discussion of fear. The twisted aspens that surround us are symbols of the pathfinding of our people. We all have our own paths to follow. Let us not dwell on the paths of others. Today, on this highest of holidays, is a day of reflection within ourselves. A day to reaffirm our connection with the earth and remember our ancestors. We cannot get distracted as our neighbors to the west plot against us. 
And as a witch hunter snoops around our town. The common good. The common good. Now let us prepare for the ceremony and cleanse the area for our newest first degree. Our one and only Dakota Sands, who will be performing our rites tonight. Dakota appears in a black robe like only the others sat behind the stage adorn. The crowd suddenly disperses to create a circle around the seating area, removing the benches. Many of the young men begin to build a quick fire pit of rock and wood. Young women appear with brooms and begin to sweep in tandem, creating a large circle around the fireplace, like ballerinas to a dance. Their brooms don't even touch the floor. But as they continue their sweeping dance, the same illumination from the forest trees appears beneath them in a stream of light, rising and falling like waves, swirling around the audience. Dakota, positioned inside the circle, appears through the thin veil of light. Opening her robe, she reveals a black dress fitted in silver stones, flowing somehow in the still air as a shawl. As the crowd starts a chorus, she begins to dance to the simple but tantric beat. Hidden instruments play with her. The boys who had finished the fireplace step back for the one and only Gideon, who steps forward to light the fire with his own hand. He drops to one knee to watch her gracefully fly with her arms around the fireplace. As the dance comes to a head, Dakota begins to chant. Wondrous Lady of the Moon, revealer of mysteries past and present, we thank you on this most holy of days for your full moon. By virtue of the sun, moon, stars, by the powers of earth, fire, and water, we call upon you this day. Bless our people, protect them from harm, cleanse out the evil, grant us this charm, the common good. The common good. I call you now, attend to me. Tis my will, so let it be. The smoke of the fire cackles louder as the fire rages wildly, erupting into sparks that fly high to the air. The sparks ignite into what can only be described as fireflies that flutter above the audience. I seem to be the only astounded viewer at the event as the crowd gently purrs and gawks at the fireflies as they softly burn out. Over the cheers of the audience, I notice Dakota's forehead has begun to shine. A symbol has appeared, not unlike my own tattooed sins. Two half-moons point out of either side of a full moon, her eyes white as a pearl. I'm trying to make out the tantric look on her face when the swipes of a cat at my leg interrupts me. And I thought we were getting along so well. What's the deal? His answer is to dart behind me, looking back as he had before. It's time to go. I begin my chase after him, but he's running faster than he had earlier, and it's only a matter of time until I lose sight of him among the glowing aspens. Sebastian? Sebastian? I guess at a turn and continue to run, scanning the ground for my new feline friend when I smack right to something hard. It seems we both have such an interest in the cult of the witches, don't we, Dallas? You seem to pop up every time I run reconnaissance. The colonel, fashioned and creepy as ever in his top hat and riding gloves. You see now what they can do. A quite barbaric bunch, actually. They know not what kind of evil they could unleash if one of their best were to go rogue. That Dakota, for instance. Such raw ability compared to others her age. They would have you believe that someone evil murdered that boy. But in truth, it was his own curiosity that had done him in. What is that supposed to mean? I wouldn't be surprised if you did him in. Please. That blood magic they spoke of. It wouldn't be the first time they plagued our homes with it. One of them decides they want more power, gets in over their head with some dark magic, and we all pay for it. He begins to walk past me, 
peering back only for a moment. Curiosity killed the cat doubts. You would do well to remember that. And speaking of cats, he went that away. Pointing down a clear path past both of us, I turned to find the direction he motions towards. As I turn back to him, I find only leaves blowing the wind where he once stood. The aspens have returned to normal, and I'm left in the dark and cold forest. Alone. I know so much, but so little. Dakota and the others continue to ignore me. David is trying to get me to join the football team, and I'm just not in the headspace to consider it. I try tracking down Travis at the Jinky studio, but what is stranger still is no one seems to even know who she is when I ask for her. I can't stand to see Dakota or the others, and the only lead I have is from the first night I met the Colonel. He said something was going to go down during winter break. If he isn't a witch, is he a witch hunter? Why does he hate them? Shouldn't I? Through his mutters and moping, I get the idea that Dr. Sands has suddenly stopped returning David's phone calls altogether. I know it's my fault. I've strained myself each day from trying to explain to him why. Furiously and confused, I can only think to put my energy into one thing. Planning some kind of halt to whatever the colonel must have planned. For several weeks, I start saving non-perishable parts of my lunches for a stakeout. Going as far to convince David to let me go out of town to see my mom's side of the family. I'm sure he thought it an odd request, but worried about me needing to leave the house, he reluctantly agrees. It, it does pain me to leave David during the holiday. It was never an easy time for us, but I know in my gut something is going on and, and I need to stop it. This is bigger than David, bigger than me. Weeks earlier, I discovered an old broom closet that seemed scarcely used in the halls of Starger's Academy. A perfect place for me to stay, with air slits that replicate that of a locker, allowing me to see the front entrance of the school. It provides a perfect vantage point. I've located a janitorial schedule and copied its times to know exactly when to expect company. When I arrive at the school, I spend most of the first day or so in the closet, avoiding teachers whom are working over the holiday. Listening to music and reading passes my time until it gets late enough for me to creep out and walk the halls to patrol. I take my showers and use the bathroom in the boys' locker room, the microwave in the teachers' lounge, and every now and then, I get adventurous enough to throw some hoops in the gym or swim the pool. Had David been here? It may have been the best Christmas I had had since Hope died. Christmas Eve, it seems absolutely everyone has cleared out. So watch the snowfall from the foyer staircase. I allow myself to fall asleep and dream. I'm sitting in the open door of our old barn's hayloft. It's a calm night and I can feel the wind on my face as I watch the horses play. Someone I don't expect to be there speaks to me. So this is where you like to go when you're having nightmares, huh? It's the girl with the wings. The one who visited me in my reoccurring nightmare. She's appeared sitting next to me at my spot in the hayloft. You came back. Are you another witch? Oh gosh, no. The horse is so pretty. Hey, I'm sorry I ran off on you last time. That dream you have, it, it's so scary. And, well, I'm not used to people being able to see me. It's kind of freaking me out. Freaked you out? You were in my dreams. I don't know why I'm talking to you like you're real. You are kind of crazy for what I can tell. Where are we? In a barn? It's where my sister and I used to hide if my parents fought. Or if we got in trouble. <sighs> I'm uh, Dallas. Blair. 
We sit, taking in the beautiful sight as the clouds begin to darken. Thunder rings through the clouds. Blair tenses, checking the room worriedly. Hey, it's okay. Are you alright? No, it's him. He's, he's coming back. I'm sorry. I can't stay here. Blair disappears in a puff of green smoke as the storm rages on. <gasps> I'm instantly pulled from the dream with the sound of a crash of glass. Someone has entered the school. I rush down the foyer staircase into the hallways. Charging through the classrooms, I notice the principal's office door is wide open. Without any real plan, I prepare to meet the colonel face to face. Catch him red-handed. The black-hooded figure from the woods the first night I met the colonel stands at a file cabinet across the room. Turning to the sound of my arrival, I realize how familiar the situation suddenly feels. As the figure removes their hood, the messy black hair of Gideon Pereira falls out. He's as surprised to see me as I am to see him. Frozen, he stares holding a stack of file folders. It's the exact scene from the vision when I grabbed Gideon's arm. It's coming true. Only, unlike the dream, Gideon doesn't run. Dallas, you have to get out of here. I tripped the silent alarm. The police will be coming. The fireflies will be coming. Why isn't he running? What happens next? I'm supposed to get caught while Gideon runs. He's going to get expelled. He needs to leave. Give me a robe. Capasol? Just shut up and trust me. I know what happens next. Take my jacket. I rip off my jacket and snatch the file folders from his hands. He follows suit as the inevitable footsteps begin. That window behind you opens. Go. He hears them too. And with a thankful but confused nod, Gideon escapes through the window. So much for my visions being 100% accurate. It's Mrs. Torres that catches me, here to pick up her kid's hidden Christmas present before morning. The police aren't far behind. Trespassing? Destruction of property? Theft? God damn it, Dallas. They said they found a whole closet of food stashed with your bag. Why were you staying at the school? Is it that hard for you to be with me during Christmas? You have to lie? Dallas, they might not let you leave this police station tonight. Do you understand that? I, I just, I wanted to get away. I, I didn't plan to steal anything until I was there. I thought they might have some information in my records. The, the window was a freak accident. He doesn't believe me, and he shouldn't. Saying absolutely nothing, which is worse than anything he could have said. The commissioner comes out of his office after a phone call with Dr. Sands. David Sands agreed him. Officer, uh, commissioner? Look, kid, I've known Penelope Sands since I was your age. She explained to me your situation. I'm not going to book you tonight, but I can't do anything if the school decides to press charges. The doc says she'll speak to the board for you, but the rest is up to them. It's the last time I want to see you in here, okay, kid? I promise with a nod. Uh, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. David gets up and shakes the officer's hand again, walking past me into the room without saying anything. It feels like a punch in the gut. We're silent the entire ride home. We both know I'll be expelled, and I can feel his pain from my seat next to him. It's not until we arrive home and he's begun up the stairs he addresses me. You aren't to leave this house until winter break ends, and then only for school. If you still have a school. I'll call that Rosewood High School Monday. Merry Christmas. Your present is under the tree. I hadn't noticed the small tree perched on the desk, lit and decorated with ornaments Dad must have made with his woodworking. We hadn't had a tree since Mom and Hope died. David must have done this himself. He had to have been planning it. 
Then I told him I didn't want to be here. Underneath, I spied the badly wrapped package covered in newspaper. I'm in no mood to open it, but I don't want David to be upset seeing I haven't touched it when he wakes in the morning. I ripped the paper off to find a wooden jewelry box. F.R. Lopez. A box that used to belong to my grandfather. Opening its slit, I find a silver embroidered pocket watch and a note from my father. Dallas, this belonged to your grandfather. His father was a metal worker and made this for him on his 18th birthday. He gave it to me on our wedding, the day I married his daughter. I thought it was time to pass it on to you. P.S. I changed the picture so you can have something that has a piece of both of them. Opening the pocket watch, the inside reveals a picture of my mother and sister. Their smiles brighter than the sun itself. I notice something written in my mother's handwriting along the border, so I take the picture out to inspect it. The greater the sacrifice, it tells me. Christmas morning, I'm up bright and early to cook breakfast for David and I. He can't resist, but be a little easier on me after breakfast on Christmas Day. I thank him for the gift when a knock at the door interrupts our breakfast. We exchange a, a worried glance. I, uh, I got it. Looking through the people, I find a young boy in my black hoodie standing nervously at the door. It's Gideon. Um, can we talk? His hands are in his pockets. Never seen him look so nervous. I'm still in my pajamas and a bit out of sorts. Oh, hi, I'm, I'm kind of grounded, actually. <clears throat> it's uh, Christmas, so I, I suppose it's okay for a couple minutes. For today only. I hadn't noticed David had followed me. Giving Gideon an awkward stare, he heads back into the kitchen. It's cold, come in. We can talk in my room. Here, up the stairs. I have to admit, you were the last person I expected to see today. Yeah, well, I just felt like I had to come talk to you. That was pretty cool back there. Well, you did? Well, I thought you deserved to know why. Are you going to be okay, by the way? Well, they didn't put me in jail on Christmas Eve, so that's a start. I'm not really sure what to think. I'm probably expelled. What were you doing there? Dallas, you don't understand. I'm being blackmailed. I was caught stealing some fireworks, and the man who caught me, well, he's a big deal over in Rosewood. He's not someone you say no to. He's local. He sent me... He sent me to the school to steal something for him. The Colonel. That's him. What a fitting nickname. He's no good. They hate our kind over there. What's going to happen now that you can't deliver? Who says I'm not delivering? Get a load of this. The files you took from me? Well, that wasn't what I was there to steal. I just got curious about my record, you know? What I was really there for was this. Gideon presents a beautiful shiny brown ball from his bag. It looks heavy and expensive. What is that? It's a crystal ball. Here, hold it. It's a real one, not some fake crap. Rare. This was owned by some famous witch, Duncan something. What, what is the colonel going to do with it? I don't know. I don't know how to use it. He said he wasn't going to hurt nobody. A deal's a deal. Our score is settled. Dude, I'm not kidding when I say what you did back there was amazing. 
My whole life would have been fucked. I'd be expelled, arrested, probably kicked out of my house, or worse. The colonel would put a target on my back in town forever. I know you didn't have to take the hit, man. I just, I just need to say like, I feel bad for the way I treated you. And I think, and I think, I think we'll, maybe, well, maybe it's because I'm not being my true self, you know? Seriously, I know how hard it is to be your true self. I, I get it. I get it. See, I knew you did. That's why I wanted to talk to you. I know you get what I'm going through, man. Actually, I got you something. Well, it's kind of a Christmas gift. Gideon places the ball back in his bag, and he's smiling, almost bashful. This was not the Gideon I knew. Seriously? Yes, seriously. Wait, you have to close your eyes, though. I swear to God, Gideon, I'm not in the mood to be pranked today. I'm not doing it. No, dude, close them, please. I closed my eyes so I don't have to argue. No sooner had I closed them, did I feel Gideon's lips touch my own. It's quick. Surprising. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I put my hand out gently, pushing him back. I, I knew it was harmless, but my instincts ruled me out. Dude, like, seriously? You're not gay? But you said this was dumb. Sorry, I tripped, dude. That was a joke. Gideon begins to zip his bag frantically. I watch his face turn to anger before me. I try to bring the pressure down. Look, it's no big deal. I'm not like freaking out about it. I'm flattered, just, you're Dakota's cousin. You hate me. Don't you tell a fucking soul, faggot. Gideon is halfway up the room before turning. He can't look me in the eye. Look, dude, I'm sorry. I appreciate what you did for me, but I'm not fucking gay. Just stay away from me. Gideon marches out my bedroom door, and it seems I'm not the only one in this town with a deep sense of self-loathing. And I sit in the waiting room of Rosewood High Administration. The paint is fading and outdated, reminding me much more of the schools back home than the fancy halls of Stars Rest Academy. The school seems to have changed little from the 80s, with one exception of the football stadium. Of course, the school's pride and glory. Principal will see you now. Please go in. As David and I step through the doors into a rustic office, immaculate and clean in stark contrast to the rest of the school, a desk chair faces the outer window, completely hiding its occupant. Like a supervillain, its sitter reveals himself with a dramatic turn our direction, and my heart skips a beat. Dallas, so good to see you again. My, you look as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. listening to the episode please 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 show me your support by leaving a comment on apple podcast or subscribing to the pod follow me on instagram and twitter where you can track my other projects and my lgbtq superhero novel coming out march of 2021 that's at michael north with a one instead of an l michael that's m-i-c-h-a-e-1-n-o-r-t-h bye